smashing. Give everyone the best possible start to the day. See special packs for details. In this episode of the Smashing Podcast, we ask if SaaS is still relevant in 2022 and if it adds any value to modern CSS workflows. Fiddly talks to expert Stephanie Eccles to find out. But first, did you know that Smashing Magazine publishes brand new articles to the website throughout your working week? There's a lot to keep up with, but we're here to help. It's your weekly update. In Things I Wish I'd Known Earlier in My Career, Fiddly Friedman asks if you feel stuck in your company. Do you believe you deserve a raise, but it never happens? Do you think you might need to quit the job? Fiddly's here to help you figure it out by looking at some of the things he wishes he'd known earlier in his career. Sergey Krasotin shows us how to test your MVP within two weeks or less. Are you looking for ways to test your product faster? In this article, Sergey uncovers some common mistakes startup product designers make that lead to longer MVP testing times. To test your product within two weeks or less, follow these simple practices proven by Sergey's experience with over 100 startups and accelerators. Yeah! In part two of How to Create a Vanilla JavaScript Gantt Chart, Anna Prenzel looks at adding task editing features. Enhance the Gantt Chart component created in part one with some interaction possibilities for editing the jobs. You'll continue to work with Vanilla.js and web components and look at some of the JavaScript libraries that can greatly simplify the effort of developing a fully functional Gantt chart. Eric Bailey takes a dive into voice control usability considerations for partially visually hidden link names. Overcorrecting for one form of disability may unintentionally negatively impact the experience for other forms of disability. For example, partially visually hidden link names may work great for people who use screen readers but this approach can be problematic for people who rely on voice control software. Eric demonstrates how your designs can be flexible and adaptable, as well as accommodate the different ways people can interact with them. Oh, yeah! And in demystifying the new Gatsby framework, Juan Diego Rodriguez reminds us that Gatsby 4 came out in October 2021 with a lot of new features. It may seem as if Gatsby 4 didn't cause a big stir among developers, but it brought several game-changing features. Let's see what version 4 brings to the table. And that is your weekly update. Find all these and more at smashingmagazine.com slash articles. She's a software engineer focused on front-end, and she creates front-end learning and development resources with an emphasis on CSS, accessibility, and relevancy. She's a writer, teacher, and consultant, and she also hosts the podcast WordRap, where she and Claire Lipsky talk about a bunch of stuff related to what it even means to be a developer in the 21st century. She's also an advocate for accessibility, scalable CSS, and Jamstack. And offline, she's a mom to two girls and a cowboy corgi and she enjoys baking. So we know she's an expert in CSS and accessibility, but did you know that she absolutely loves hip hop and, you know, dancing occasionally, of course. My smashing friends, please welcome Stephanie Eccles. Hello, Stephanie. How are you today? I am smashing. 
Oh, that's wonderful to hear. It's wonderful to see you as well because you're writing so many articles, you're writing so many like uh, tutorials and courses and yeah, you know, I don't even know tools. Everything is out there. It's just really incredible to actually have an opportunity to just talk to you every now and again. This is wonderful. But I always had to ask. I, I mean, I'm just really, really curious at this point. Stephanie, I mean, you create so many tools for people out there to use. And I always think about HTML recipes and button body and 11 rocks and so many articles on CSS and trainings and workshops. And you have your own podcast and you're also a mom. Like, where do you find time for it? Are you like super organized? How does it work? <laughs> so I'm not super organized, but if anything about uh, becoming a mom, becoming a parent or any sort of caregiver is the time that you do have is more precious. And also you're sort of forced to be more efficient. <laughs> so, um, yeah, when you have, you know, different, different, different goals, um, it's just something that's important to me to include in, in my day or, or make time for. So, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. It's actually quite interesting because the less time you have, the more, the better you kind of get around your time to kind of the more op you optimize your time and all. So that's, um, that's incredible to hear that. Well, Stephanie, today's an important day. It's a very important day, isn't it? Well, do you know what I'm hinting at by any chance? I believe there's a certain milestone for web developers that we've been excited about. <laughs> yes, that, that is indeed very, very exciting. Uh, dear listeners, as we're recording this interview, today is June 15th, and this is going to be going in the history uh, for calendars designed and created for web developers for, I don't know, centuries? Maybe do you think we'll still be developing uh, websites in a century, Stephanie? I do believe that, actually. <laughs> Okay, so then we will probably celebrating this day because it's a day when Microsoft officially ends support for the Internet Explorer desktop application. Hmm, are we feeling a little bit nostalgic today? Stephanie, do you remember any quirks and bugs from IE? Yes, you know, um, over my all 15 plus year career history, definitely it's something I've uh, had fondness and <laughs> other feelings about um, throughout that history. So yeah, it's a big day. It's when we've, like you said, marked on the calendars. But yeah, I remember particularly staying up late at an advertising work agency I worked at um, at the time we were on IE7, and I could not get a border to show up, of all things. <laughs> I will always remember that day. <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, it's interesting, well, actually thinking back about the, let's say, 15 years you said, uh, maybe you could just shed a bit of light. How did you actually fall in love with the web? I hope you didn't fall in love with Internet Explorer because then it would be a very sad day today. But uh, how did you actually even get to the web? Tell us a little bit of your backstory, if you if you if you can. Absolutely. So, um, I started with Flash, Macromedia Flash, not Adobe Flash. <laughs> um, got that at a, a summer camp that I had gone to as a teenager, and it was sort of my gateway. I wanted to put my uh, art, as it were, on the web. Very big quotes around art. Um, so I fell in love with the keyframe animation at that time. And that led to figuring out how to get it on the web. That led to learning a little tiny, tiny bit about HTML. I remember visiting a forum to get all of my HTML and Flash questions answered. And then I found WordPress. And WordPress was kind of just getting out the gate. It was a couple years old when I um, learned about it as a tool. And spent a decade of my career with WordPress, actually. Um, my degree is in advertising. So my uh, huge part of my career was working as a developer in 
marketing and advertising. And so just that's kind of the, the base evolution of how I got into it. And um, throughout that time, front end development uh, has always been my specialty. So right right that's uh that's exciting that's incredible um i'm also thinking about all these times back when i was really playing with all these quirks around a say internet explorer and just in general and you know it's one thing that really excites me i think about all of this or excited me back then is that you could actually just go ahead and present something to the entire world and every the entire world would come and see it uh, this is how i ended up creating my own football club website for a club that didn't exist uh, which was kind of fun i guess uh, and i had maybe 44 visitors over a year that was very exciting for me at the time and i'm thinking about this now and i feel like sometimes it's becoming just incredibly difficult for people to be able to do that. And it feels like you need to learn so much to even be able to publish a hello world uh, on a page. Do you think that's, you know, this is just how things turned out, which just kind of have become more mature? Uh, or do you think it actually has become a bit more easy maybe over the last years because we have browser inconsistencies gone, right? Tooling has never been better. What's your take on this? Yeah, so <laughs> in my early days, and I'm sure you experienced this plenty of times as well, you did have to worry about the server. You did have to worry about FTP, which might be a lost acronym for some folks these days. Um, you know, very early, we didn't have version control, or at least it wasn't something I certainly knew about not having grown up in a, a you know, highly technological area. And I think that's an important point here is it really depends how you're introduced to the web. Um, if you come in straight from a boot camp, you're going to have a very different lens and a very different idea of how to get things on the web than maybe if you're casually looking around, having an interest, trying to find whatever resources. Um, so, and I think even then, it depends what your goals are. So I think it can be very easy and approachable, um, but it can also seem extremely complicated, definitely more complicated in a lot of ways with because of the tooling, uh, the tooling can either help or hinder that process for sure. Um, that's kind of why I'm fond of Jamstack. Um, I think that that is a, a lower level, easier um, way to get introduced and get your first things on the web if that's the goal. Right. And that's also wonderful because you've been publishing so many tutorials around Jamstack and 11T. And maybe you could tell us where do you see 11T, for example, being just extremely useful? Is it a, a kind of, for what kind of projects would it be a default, let's say, where you would say, yeah, that's probably going to be working best with Jamstack and 11T? And where would be its boundaries? Yeah, great question. So 11T is a static site generator. And the difference about it versus some other ones is there's no client-side JavaScript required. Um, you can build from truly flat files, HTML, um, as well as several templating languages, the common ones being Markdown or Nunjux or Liquid, as well as uh, JavaScript as a templating language. And so it's very approachable, again, for different mindsets. And so that makes it a great tool, I think, to introduce to teams with different backgrounds, different interests in, in building a website. Um, but to your question about like, when would you choose it or where, where are the boundaries? So it is great for any time that you, um, as a starting point, when you don't have any need for dynamic content, um, which isn't to say that you can't bring it in, you absolutely can. And in fact, that is something they're act actively working on is kind of 
stepping into the idea of islands architecture and things of that nature. Um, there's other tools that are built on top of it where you can easily bring in a framework that you're comfortable with, like Vue. Um, so there are absolutely ways to expand it. That's actually why I love it is because you can start at a real simple baseline and just build up as you go. Um, I haven't found a lot of boundaries. In fact, I'm even doing a project that I am sort of working on secretly, um, dealing with user authentication. And that doesn't sound like something you can do with static, but with the combination of edge functions and serverless functions, which are super easy to incorporate in, um, I think that the boundaries are being pushed farther and farther out at this point. Yeah, that's very exciting to hear just because when we were kind of moving from WordPress to Jamstack back in the day, it feels like it was a century ago now, although it was just five years ago, I believe, right? It was kind of a, wow, can we, how do we do this? Because we have the shop, the membership and well, authentication, of course, then as well. And so many other moving parts and the comments, like all search and so on. And yeah, in fact, I think that in, in many ways, uh, Jamstack has been this a really good compromise, I guess, where I remember vividly this excitement that everybody had with uh, fully client-side rendered applications. And that was the time when, you know, it was felt like, a, it felt at least like a revolution, really. And then it was pushed back. Would you say that Jamstack is kind of that pushback back somewhere to the server, not too far away from the client? How do you feel about Jamstack? Is it the golden center? for the universe of web development? <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm definitely biased at this point. Uh, I've been working with it for a little over two years now. And so I've seen some of that evolution happening. Um, and, you know, again, having that history with WordPress, it's one of the reasons I uh, really enjoyed Eleven D in particular. Um, having that templating ability, but having that static rendered, you don't have to worry about SSR. It's just simply static. <laughs> um, you know, your homepage likely is, is always static. Your marketing website largely is static. Um, but, you know, being that center, I, I really do think it is because you also have, you know, you're not um, prevented from incorporating like a CMS, for example. You can bring that in. You can still, of course, add whatever other, as I mentioned, flavor of JavaScript that you need, um, you know, it doesn't have to be uh, truly 100% static, but that's your baseline. And we all know that's where we put an emphasis on semantics, accessibility, progressive enhancement. And I think um, that's another thing you'll find in the community. If you haven't quite yet gotten into Jamstack and 11D in particular is a focus on kind of returning to that way of building. And I think that's an you know, that's the part I see a, a quote unquote return to is caring about those things. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, um, uh, it's kind of all fits in nicely then somehow with like the, you mentioned accessibility, of course, and uh, CSS is just something that we all, I think we both have in common that we just have an incredible admiration and love and passion for. And I mean, every time I read the article that you're writing, I feel like, oh, you can do that with CSS now. That's, uh, that's wonderful to see. So maybe you could shed some light on the, how do you work with CSS? Do you have a particular methodology that you tend to rely on now? Um, um, or the way of structuring things, the way of naming things. Of course, naming is the hardest part of it all, right? Um, what seems to be working best for you, for your work, for your projects, in terms of building things, in terms of, you know, maybe just to simplify, uh, how do you even start working on a project when it comes to CSS? 
the folders, the naming, the methodology and stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I still use SAS. <laughs> I will continue to use SAS strictly because it uh, allows that organization. And I think that's really critical. I think that's where a lot of folks begin to have a um, less than pleasant relationship with CSS is, is trying to figure out how to organize. And so SAS for me is that bridge. Um, it's very critical in my tool belt. Um, and alongside that, um, I do tend to use BIM. I'm not always completely strict on it. I don't always completely rely on even having classes. I think it's very powerful to um, focus on the semantics. Um, and I also, I think it's important to know, you know, where I'm coming from. So part of my history involves working on design systems. And so through that, I've become a big proponent of creating components, whether that's a formal design system or just kind of the way that you're approaching and organizing and architecting your styles. I find that to be helpful for me to think of my system as components and to think of my system as having some folks might know them as design tokens, but having like a series of colors and these other sort of primitive variables um, would might be another common term where, you know, those are leading into the system. I'm definitely using custom properties. That's been a huge game changer in how I approach writing styles, both from, you know, folks might be used to opening up uh, a site, looking at the HTML element and seeing just a whole <laughs> just a whole laundry list of custom properties, right? Um, I, I keep mine a little, you know, more focused, like I said, colors and really high up global tokens. Um, but an important way that I write my styles and my components is really leaning on custom properties to allow very easy variations of those, very scalable variations of those. Um, and so you mentioned my workshop earlier, that's something we really go into because when you are um, starting to incorporate those things, you start to, I think it was kind of a you know, light bulb moment for me, um, learning about these things where my styles became so much more simple, so much more efficient, um, so much less repetitive, <laughs> being able to use things like custom properties. So SAS custom properties, um, a little sprinkle of BIM, um, and also, in some cases, relying on particular element selectors that directly hook into accessibility features. So it's kind of a combination of those things, but it all starts for me at the HTML level, and then I go to my CSS. So that's also an important part of uh, my process. Sure, of course. Yeah, I also remember vividly that moment, that moment when we actually ended up getting custom properties in all the browsers. And I was like, wow, you can now do custom properties, kind of variables, CSS variables, dynamic variables now in the browser. That was incredible. That also brings me to this notion of like, um, this is a conversation that I keep having with some folks, just thinking about what is the role of SAS today and how is it going to evolve? Just to bring it a little bit more into context. Uh, you know, we, we now have custom properties for years now, right? But uh, we also have 
these proposals for scoping and for nesting, which might be coming up soon. But then on top of that, and I'm really excited about that, by the way, just because right now, every time you're using SARS, we have to produce this humongous chain of uh, classes if you do nesting, 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 nesting. But if it is actually just written in CSS, you know, and just clean and beautiful and how it should be. Plus, on top of that, of course, cascade layers, which are already well supported. Um, so I'm wondering at this point, of course, not, not to mention, I mean, there are so many things coming up. It's incredible in CSS. The color mix, color contrast, lighten, darken, all those things that are also coming to native CSS. So I'm wondering just about your take. Where do you see now SAS uh, moving? Uh, is it going to be more for... Literally processing for things like uh, mixings, functions, those kind of things. Um, and where would you say this should be in CSS and that should be probably staying in SAS? Yeah, so all of those are super valid, you know, comparisons to how, you know, features and, and tools such as SAS has informed um, or helped inform the evolution of CSS as a language. And for sure, I'm excited for those things to come and be native. Um, as I mentioned, organizations is still a huge reason I'll continue to use um, SAS to compile my style sheets um, and still have that separation, like I said, of my components or, you know, whatever other uh, parts of are, that are coming together. Um, also in a design systems context or other contexts where, you are creating a reusable system and you want to have a little bit better management of your, again, whether you call them tokens or whatever you call those sort of baseline configuration of how the different customations enter that style sheet um, is, I believe, still where SAS is going to shine. And like you said, functions, mix-ins, um, I'm finding myself using less mix-ins these days because, uh, like I said, custom properties kind of gap fills what I was using mix-ins for in some cases. Um, but I still use SAS for functions, absolutely. So whether that's looping through my tokens to spit out automatically uh, different utility styles, right? Um, to me, that's still plenty useful enough that I'll continue to use SAS. Um, and that's the functionality that we don't see in the horizon for for CSS. Um, but yeah, I definitely have changed, you know, some of the ways I've used SAS, um, you know, using is and where sometimes those help simplify my selectors in a way that maybe was using SAS for before. Um, so yeah, I'm absolutely a fan of switching over the functionality that should be long in the browser to the browser, but still finding, you know, the organization and, and functions in particular to be useful in SAS for me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's interesting because you, you mentioned BAM uh, previously, and I just recently had a conversation with a few JavaScript developers. And um, the the kind of the conversation went in a very unusual way for me because usually I do I would be comfortably writing BAM uh, using BAM. I mean, just like you, not the dogmatic traditional the 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 big BAM, but the small BAM. And I do like my hyphens and I do like my underscores, so don't judge me on that, right? But uh, I heard this notion of BAM. Is it still a thing? Is it like from 2017 or 18 something? Why would you use BAM today if you have Tailwind and you have uh, CSS and JS if needed? So you, why do you work so hard to have the naming and have these relationships, which could be potentially just you know created using atomic using atomic classes or just writing some CSS and JS? 
And I had my arguments uh, about why I would still prefer BAM. But I see that many people feel like, isn't BAM outdated? Right? And, you know, isn't Tailwind the thing now? So what are your thoughts on that? And maybe specifically on Tailwind, that would be probably quite relevant. So for me, it's not the right tool. Um, and that has to do with the way that I work, but also the team conventions that I have. And that's usually what I tell folks is it depends what kind of project you're working on. It depends on the makeup of your team, your skill set, your project architecture, just like anytime you choose a tool, all of these things play a, a part. Um, as I mentioned, I'm a proponent of comp components. And so an important thing to remember is that not everybody is using a JavaScript framework. In fact, if we look at global stats, that's actually a pretty minor part of the web. I know it feels like everybody is using React or what other, you know, whatever other tool, but it's actually not true in practice. And especially if you're coming into an established team, um, that is not the latest, you know, a new startup or something. Um, you're pro you may not find Tailwind. And so that's fine. Um, but the, the kind of point is that some of these methodologies aren't as transferable across projects either. So if you're solely producing, you know, one type of project, um, one application, um, one product, um, it's kind of easier to make a decision towards something like Tailwind um, rather than if you're working on a project that's intended to be used across multiple outcomes. Maybe I'm using it on my 11D static site where I'm writing in Nunjux, but I also need to share it to a backend application that's built in React. You know, so my style sheet's going to be a lot more portable if it doesn't rely on CSS and JS. Um, or if it's not completely wrapped up already in React components. Um, in, you know, teams have found ways to overcome that. And again, I, you know, your experience is going to heavily weigh into what choice you make here. Um, another big one that comes up for folks is the issue of documentation. And I absolutely respect that where um, it's easier sometimes to pick up a tool that has ready-made documentation. So that's absolutely consideration in making that decision. I wouldn't say that BIM is outdated. Um, you know, it's just a naming convention um, where I think, as I said, it lends to being a little more portable just in that you can, the intent of it is to be able to identify what set of styles go together. So we can apply that in multiple in multiple locations and have a good idea. Um, I think perhaps in some instances, it might be a little more memorable if you don't have a system where you're able to create and template out components. Because again, that's not every environment that folks are practically working in, so. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's uh, it's also fun to be just talking, thinking about um, all the things we could do with CSS, right? And kind of moving back to what we talked about briefly before. Um, so many powerful things coming up. It seems like, you know, just a recent announcement of all the features coming to Safari 16. This is just unbelievable. It's like Christmas coming in before Christmas. Uh, and then, of course, we have all the wonderful things coming up in Chrome 103. And, and it's just um, it's just all wonderful, incredible. What are you most excited about? of all of those things is there anything where you say okay this is life-changing for me this is changing everything that i'm doing with css um for me it's the 
one-two punch of container queries and has. I am excited for both of those to be stable. Um, and uh, again, coming from the design system context in particular, I just think we're going to be able to create the most robust and <laughs> scalable components like we just ha literally haven't been able to achieve before. So I'm very excited about that um, as, as kind of my top two picks coming up here. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, maybe we should be expecting some articles from you on them, although maybe <laughs> you have written them already. Who knows? Uh, I think you might have, right? Um, do you find yourself writing as much as you used to be? Or do you have a lot of writing coming up uh, in the months to come? Yeah, so uh, writing's taken a tiny bit of a backseat just because I've been working on a project a little more longer term that's a build out of a new new side project here. <laughs> so yeah, it's and it makes it tough because I have a, a backlog definitely of writing ideas. So <laughs> hope to get back to that soon. I hope we'll uh, we'll get we'll get there as well. Well, maybe kind of quickly uh, a few kind of questions to also slowly wrap up. Uh, do you think you have a dream feature that you would love TSS to have? Something that's, you know, I mean, I, frankly, I don't know. To be honest, if I had to answer that question, I'd be probably out of ideas because, you know, I always wanted a parent selector. Well, has it much more than that, but we have that. And I always wanted container queries. Well, we have that. And I always wanted subgrid. Well, we kind of have it coming. It's like, what else should I wish for? I don't know. Do you have any dream features that CSS desperately needs? I think I'm similar as you at this point. It's just sort of waiting for certain things to land. Um, a year or two ago, I probably would have said color contrast in the browser, but that's even coming. So yeah, the list is definitely shortening of, um, you know, what we still are waiting for. Um, another one for me would have been, you know, a more native way to do fluid typography. And we are also getting that once container queries hits because of container units, uh, we'll be able to do that. So yeah, I think the last thing for me is, um, we have media queries related to viewport. We're going to get the container ones. The last thing for me um, would be expanding that a bit to a few more contexts, like a user browser Zoom context would be useful to me. Um, and I'm sure there's some other device features and things in that area might be the remaining area to grow a little bit. Sometimes there's privacy concerns, um, hardware limitations, these things that prevent those particular features. But yeah, that's what I kind of have my eye on. Excellent. Sounds good. Sounds, sounds uh, exciting uh, to, I mean, I'm, I'm just really excited to just see what is coming up next. It just always keeps me busy. Sometimes I would find myself just going to something like chromestatus.com just to see, is there anything new in the, on the horizon? Just because I'm curious. Um, yeah, usually it takes a little bit longer than just a couple of days to see something new showing up though. But yeah, this is how excited I am, I guess. Well, so we've been learning a little bit about CSS in this episode today. So what have you been learning? about lately stephanie maybe any podcast that you can recommend any books any i don't know uh tv shows anything that's really got your interest or drew or kind of kind of attracted your interest uh over the last few months or so yeah so an area i unexpectedly found myself enjoying is watching developers on twitch <laughs> so i've been learning all kinds of stuff from some fabulous streamers um you know, folks might already know, but White Panther, who is Salma Almanair, um, is excellent. Um, and also, I've really enjoyed Alex Trost, who runs the front-end horse community. So if you're looking to learn 
maybe some unexpected things in a little different format. Um, that's what I encourage folks to do, kind of shake up where you're getting your your inspiration. So, Excellent. Well, if you'd like to learn a bit more from Stephanie, we have an upcoming Smashing Workshop, which is going to look into all kinds of things, CSS, probably also SAS, probably also BAM, and probably also 11T, if I'm not mistaken. This is taking place on July 11, 25th. And of course, there are a few tickets left, so please uh, do take a look and join in. And if you, dear listener, would like to hear more from Stephanie altogether in general, you can also find her on Twitter, where she's at 5T3PH, or Steph, and on her website at, uh, well, HTTPS, or of course, thinkdobecreate.com. Well, thanks for joining us today, Stephanie. Do you have any parting words with the wonderful community things that will remain uh, in, you know, in somebody's memories centuries after they hear it here today? Big responsibility. <laughs> Experiment, play, and share what you know. This is Smashing. And that was our podcast. Thank you very much for listening. And if you liked it, please share it with your friends. Find us on the web at smashingmagazine.com, on Twitter at SmashingMag, Smashing Magazine on Facebook, or in the supermarket by the cat food. Music.